0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8.
2: You are listening to the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. We're getting you in the mood for Valentine's Day and asking, do you know your love language? There are five... Dr. Thryer, clinical psychologist, talking through them, giving examples and explaining why knowing yours and your partners can be a real helping hand. Speaking of relationships, we were celebrating Valentine's Day, news of how to build some female friendships here in the UAE. We had Bianca Gratius from Crimson Legal on hand to answer all of your questions if you're starting a business. We had Cassie turning her life around from corporate to healing and trying to do the same with others, especially around trauma. And kids, they ask the funniest slash strangest question. One couple has turned it into a book. Why is water wet? We are talking the love languages today. According to Gary Chapman and Ross Campbell, the authors of the five love languages, everyone expresses and receives love in different ways. And seldom do we pick partners who have the same love language. But in order for the couples to feel loved and understood... Surely it makes sense if we understand what the others' love language is. We're joined now by Dr. Thiraya, clinical psychologist and Human Relations Institute and Clinic. Dr. Thiraya, lovely to have you with us. Um, I'm very familiar with the concept of love languages, and I'll tell you why. Because when my husband and I got married, we had to go to a marriage preparation course at church, and this was a big part of it. And i never heard of it before, but we were given the book, and we were encouraged to you know, explore what our love languages might be as a way of, I guess, kind of paving the way for improved communication in our marriage. So I just want to say kudos to Father Tim, because, <laughs> you know, nine years later, we're still we're just about talking. Um, but for anyone who's not familiar with this concept, with this book, which is now a bit of an icon in, in the publishing world, can you explain what the five love languages are?
3: Of course. Um, Just to start off by saying I think the preparatory classes for marriage are genius and I wish every single person had to actually go through those before getting married. If it was up to me, I would definitely make it mandatory. Um, But the five love languages were actually coined by Gary Chapman and he talked about uh, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch and acts of service and those are the five but I'll explain each one separately so words of of affirmation are basically like expressing affection through uh kind words um praise uh nice things to say about the actual person yeah I I think a lot a
2: lot of people think oh it's just about saying I love you all the time but it could it can be saying something like I really admired how you dealt with that situation or you know Mm -hmm. I thought you did an amazing job you know X Y Z. So it's not just you know I I love you and using you know baby talk and and you know pet names. It's recognizing a quality and expressing that through words or recognizing something something positive. Okay,
3: of course, and and expressing that sense of appreciation. So even something like thank you for doing the dishes could be part of uh, words of affirmation. Um, quality time is the time that you spend together. So it's not like both of us sitting, watching a TV show and both of us on our phone. Uh, it's more time spent discussing things, uh, sharing things, doing things together, activities. I mean, I love your, um, what is it? 26 days of oh, the, the alphabet al- dating. The alphabet I, love dating. I love it. I love it. I we, think it's so amazing that you do that because
2: off the that's alphabet perfect quality dating. time. So for anyone that hasn't seen this, we we was probably about two years ago, we started doing alphabet dating and it was trying to do once a month an activity that began with A, B, C, you know, all the way through the alphabet. So we did things like, you know, zip lining, hot air ballooning. Um, There was a bit of a dark point during the pandemic where it was like, J is for jigsaw because we couldn't do anything. Uh, But we did, you know, pottery. We've done fragrance making. and Yeah, and it was just a way of trying to avoid what we normally do, which is as exactly you're saying, sitting on the sofa next to each other, half scrolling, half watching Happy Valley. Um, But yeah, making memories and having that quality time Together. Okay, Okay, what's next? Well let's do physical touch, because there's a few misconceptions around that one as well.
3: Yeah, so physical touch is usually associated with that sexual intimacy where it's not just about that as well. It's it could be holding hands, it could be, you know, like a massage, it could be a hug, it could even be like a little bit of not like a pat on the back, but but just like a like a a rub on the back. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just it's about appreciating the physical existence of your partner and understanding and connecting on that metaphysical level.
2: I didn't realize I was, I was connecting on a metaphysical level, but I read an interesting quote the day was, you need to have, apparently you need to have a seven second kiss every single day. Apparently this is a bit of a key to, you know, keeping your relationship alive. I, I have not tested it. I might, I will report back. Theraya, what <laughs> let's talk about gift giving. What about that as a love language?
3: So receiving gifts is not just uh, the appreciation of the gift itself, but it's also the thought that's put into the gift. So, for instance, if somebody, you know, creates something or makes something for you or remembers something that you said like three years ago that you wanted to try and then they actually bring it for you or they, they give you a voucher for you to do, that in and of itself is extremely powerful because not only are you giving the person something nice, but you're also showing them that you pay attention to them and you value the things that they say.
2: Yeah, that you've been in their thoughts and this is the gift is kind of a manifestation of them thinking mm. about you. And la- lastly, we've got acts of service, which, well, I'll let you explain and then I'll tell you my story.
3: Okay. So these are just little acts that demonstrate love and affection. So these could be things like doing the dishes. It could be things like cooking dinner. It could be things like putting the seat down when, when you know, that you know that your partner likes or, it that way. So up, things depending. like that. It could be absolutely yeah. everything. <laughs>
2: Now, I did the quiz earlier and you can find the quiz online really easy to see what your um, what your love language is. And I was 37% words of affirmation 30% um, physical touch. And I have no doubt that my husband would be overwhelmingly acts of service. And it's taken me a really long time. And something I, I, being honest, really struggle with at the beginning. He's not a particularly tactile person. And I think it takes a long time for you to realize that you're perhaps not going to be loved in the way that you love or that you expect to be loved. And I need to be really cognizant of that fact that when my husband goes and, you know, researches, oh my goodness, like AstroTurf or recognizes that the shower you know curtain needs replacing and, and goes, that is him telling me he loves me if that makes sense I was going to use the example of when he goes and disappears into the garage for two hours to sort it out I think he's just getting away from the family when he does that but for other things I definitely think it is him expressing his love language
1: This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8
0: With King's College Hospital London in Dubai bringing the best of British healthcare to the UAE
2: Lots of messages many of you getting in touch with questions and a bit of confusion about the five languages of love Dr. a clinical psychologist at Human Relations Institute and Clinic, on hand to uh, help us navigate a topic that hopefully can improve the communication in your relationship. The five languages of love devised in a now pretty iconic book by Gary Chapman. Now, we recently spoke to a bit of a love guru. Paul C. Brunson is the man who acts as a bit of a dating coach and all-round expert on the topic of love and romance. And here he is talking about how he found out his love language was different to his wife's.
0: We all
4: receive love and give love in a specific language. And unless your partner knows what that language is, you'll never truly feel loved by them. So, for example, one of the love languages is gifts. Right. I didn't realize that when because that's my wife's love language. I thought she was just spoiled. You
5: know, I didn't think it
4: was an actual language that she needed. Uh, and, And so I would hold back on the gifts because that was not how I was loved as a child. It was acts of service for me. And so once I recognized that that was her love language and started to show her love through gifts, she then understood how much I truly loved her.
2: So speaking there's the importance of knowing your love language, but also recognizing what your partner needs. And we've had a couple of questions asking for a bit of clarity on this, Taraya. No name on this one. And you can get in touch anonymously, of course, saying if someone doesn't do what you mentioned of these love languages. So you've communicated your love language to your partner. Does that mean that you are not loved by them? So if you are explaining to your partner, do you know what? Physical touch, for example, is really important to me. I would, you know, you holding my hand or giving me a hug or, you know, just showing some affection physically makes me feel loved. And you've communicated that very clearly and maybe repeatedly, and they don't take that on board. This question is, does that mean that they don't love you?
3: You're not really gonna like my answer, Helen. (laughs) It's uh, because it's a very hard question to answer. Um, with very minimal information. First of all, just to make it very clear, when you're talking about any type of relationship, you want to avoid the the mathematical logic statement of if then. So if he or she does this, then he or she feels that. You want to avoid those as much as possible because relationships are extremely complex and life is in gray, it's not in black and white, and it doesn't follow mathematical logic. So that's first and foremost. But what I would say is... You also want to take a look at not just telling the person what your love language is, but have you asked exactly what you need from your partner? So sometimes it's easy to say, "Listen, my love language is quality time," right? And then your partner says, "Okay," and in my and their mind, quality time means just chilling with you, whereas in your mind, quality time means doing stuff together. So how how clear have you been in your communication in order to? Um, uh, clarify what exactly you're looking for from your partner, so this would be my first question um, and then moving forward from that, I think sometimes with some individuals when they're they're lacking kind of um, a sense of awareness and a sense of uh, responsibility and accountability at times when they do know what their partner wants from them they're either resentful about something or they're uncomfortable about something and they're kind of using that they're taking hostage the love that they can show their partner and at the same time sometimes I believe that individuals are experiencing a sense of uh, disconnect from what love actually is because they don't necessarily understand what love is and Mm -hmm. how to express it even if somebody is telling them um, they may not necessarily understand how to to kind of process that and really integrate that into their life so it's a very complex question that cannot be answered in such a simplistic way
2: well thank you for for trying through i think it does make a lot of sense i want to come back to one of paul brunson's um, comments and he alluded to the fact that you know he wasn't raised with gift giving being that love language so i wondered you know how do we learn our different love languages
3: So essentially, um, we do learn it from our childhood. So if we experience, for instance, uh, a household that doesn't necessarily give a lot of words of affirmation, you can go one of two ways. You can either go into the way that you want a lot of words of affirmation that becomes your love language, or it actually makes you extremely uncomfortable to hear words of affirmation. So it really depends on the individual, how they interpret and how they process that growing up. But definitely, our love languages are established and kind of strengthened in our childhood, and can adjust as time moves on, as we change, as our priorities change, as our self-awareness adjusts. So there's, it's not like they, they're not set in stone. So they can adjust and and um, and develop, especially when we're with specific individuals.
2: Some great questions coming in the text line. The listeners are on it today. Um, Question here from Dean. Well, not so much a question, more of a comment saying, I find that the best thing to do in relationships is to give what you want in return. If you want more hugs and kisses, go and hug and kiss your partner. If you want them to take you shopping, ask that. Be clear, our partners are not mind readers. And this comes back to so many experts' latest t- take on happiness, whether that is personal happiness or happiness in a relationship, is exactly that. Expectation is the root of all heartache and unmet expectations or should I even say like uncommunicated expectations you are setting yourself up big time which is exactly what you're saying there Theroy about really signposting what you need I message is saying what if you don't have a predominant love language I said earlier I'm 37% words of affirmation 30% physical touch and then it kind of goes down from there is that quite normal for people to have two that might be quite parallel because presumably we want different things from our partners at different times
3: Of course. I mean, there could be one day that I might be looking for words of affirmation from my partner on a specific topic. And there could be another day where I'm experiencing the same emotion, but at the same time, this this time I just want to hug. So... It's it's understandable, and I don't think it's um, it's actually extremely possible. I haven't come across it yet, so I'm not going to say it's not. But I haven't seen it yet, where somebody is zero percent of something. Mm-hmm. So you might have like five percent of this, you know, twenty percent of that, thirty percent of this. But I think w- what it is is basically this idea that we allow ourselves to understand what our love language is, and that might oscillate, especially if you have a couple of ones that are a bit higher in scale.
2: Um, Dr. Thryo, do you think there's any missing from that list of five love languages? Is there anything that you would add?
3: Oh, that's a very good question, Helen. (laughs) I don't... um, Do you want a minute to think about it? I can give you some headlines. I think so. Can can you give me a minute? (laughs) I can
2: definitely give you some headlines. Um, Let's just quickly go to a couple of messages. Kerry saying, great topic. I'm words of affirmation. My husband is acts of service and quality time. So instead of expecting him to use his words as I would... I happily accept him bringing me a morning coffee in bed. It's him telling me he loves me and thinks I'm fabulous. Kerry, you got it cracked. Um, and we've got a couple of questions and people wanting a bit of a bit of advice. So we are going to come to those in just a couple of minutes. Um, Hibba saying, I don't really buy into the love languages theory because I know and assume others need different things at different times. So there's no one way for me to feel or show love. However. One thing we did work out early in our relationship was the vent versus action thing. Whenever one of us comes together with a problem, you let the other one get it off their chest, sympathise with them and then ask, do you want me to listen or can I help? I know it might seem a bit unsettled, but you wouldn't believe how well it works. So many arguments that just don't happen. No feelings of resentment. And we both talk to each other a lot more because we know how to stop the other person problem solving if all we want is a rant. It's great advice it really is Hibber thank you for sharing that we're talking love this afternoon communication according to Gary Chapman author of the five love languages everyone expresses and receives love in different ways and we very rarely actually have a partner that has the same love language, which means it is essential to understand what our partner's love language is. Let me know what yours is and how it's working out for you. Joining us live on the line is Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. We've had lots of messages on this, Thraya lots of questions and concerns, I think, to be fair. Um, no name on this message. And you can, of course, get in touch and... Leave your name off. That's absolutely fine. No name is saying, I feel like my love language is definitely touch or words. Maybe I just need reassurance or maybe I'm just insecure. But my boyfriend is very different. He's not comforting. Wouldn't just randomly give me a kiss or anything. And date nights, I tend to organise myself. I feel like I'm wanting more. I've tried and tried to communicate what I need to feel loved. When should you just give up and understand you're not compatible? That's a really interesting point about, you know, compatibility. What would you say to that message Tharaya? And thank you for sharing that.
3: Well, I think it's interesting when we talk about compatibility, because there's so many different factors that have to do with compatibility. But I would say one of the most significant factors that you need to consider about compatibility is not about like your interests or your political views, but more so something on the lines of your value system. So if you value somebody honoring and appreciating how you're experiencing something, and they're not, and they you know, don't necessarily um, show that they have that same value system, that could be detrimental in so many different behaviors as well. So it can show itself and manifest itself in many different ways in the relationship. So I think compatibility really needs to be seen in your values and your ethics and your morals and things that end up manifesting themselves in day to day actions.
2: Mm-hmm. It's hard though, isn't it? Because that's, that's one of the, the things is, I mean, really what this listener is asking is, you know, I've tried, should I, should I walk away? And obviously you cannot advise that. That's not your role as a right. psychologist. Um, but if you, if you're trying and trying and trying and you're and, and just not getting through, when can a relationship counsellor, um, you know, kind of help and ask, ask as, a, as a bit of a mediator when it comes to communication?
3: Well, you know, Helen, if I may, I'd like to just give, um, an example that I've always heard and, and lived by, which is basically if anybody who's ever um, uh, put together a jigsaw puzzle knows that you take a piece and then you try to put it in one way and then you flip it into the second way and then the third way and the fourth way. So you try four different times, but then after a while you realize that that piece just doesn't fit. And I think that's a beautiful analogy when it comes to relationships like you can try different ways. And if you realize that no matter how many times you're trying in different ways and nothing is changing mm-hmm. then you also maybe need to say to yourself, maybe this piece doesn't fit.
2: Ooh, deep, very deep. I like a good jigsaw analogy. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, to the text line, anonymous message on 4001. Um, Wow, Okay. This message says, My husband insists on offering food, even when we say no thanks. He thinks he knows better, will encourage me or the kids to have whatever he's offering, even when we've said no thank you very clearly. We had a big blow up at dinner recently because he wanted to serve our daughter when she'd clearly said no more. He gets hurt because he says it's his, quote, love language. I find it irritating and even disrespectful, because while I concede that to offer once is kind, to feel hurt or rejected when someone has clearly said no thanks is just rude. Is someone misunderstanding the love languages or mis- misusing this? What comes to mind upon hearing this message, Thraya?
3: Well, actually, what comes to mind are two things. Number one, boundaries. So clearly the, the father is not respecting the boundaries of the individual and they're saying no. However, I also think the father's being misunderstood when you're saying that he's being rude because... I don't think he what he's doing is being rude. I think maybe there's something that's happening within him that is making him feel like he just wants to keep giving and giving and giving. And that could stem from some other reason. I think before we like jump and start labeling people with different things, I think it's important to kind of understand the situation a little bit more. However, I do acknowledge and appreciate the fact that there are boundaries that are being crossed. When someone says no, then the other person needs to respect that regardless of how, um, that might necessarily be processed within that person's existence.
2: Thanks, Soraya. But I, earlier I asked you, do you think, <laughs> don't think I was going to forget, do you think anything is missing from this list of love languages? I mean, I would, you know, offer up, you know, carbohydrates, for example. <laughs> um, wh- wh- where, where, where else would you think we could be identifying um, an, an item for the list?
3: You know, you had me pacing back and forth in the room, (laughs) Helen, because I was, like, trying to think. But honestly, um, it kind of just dawned on me that it's safety. And maybe this is my personal bias because this would be my strongest love language in the sense of, like, providing that sense of space for a person to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. to be exposed, to respect their boundaries, and to give them that sense of safety that I got you. Like, whatever you need, I got you. I'm not going to do something for you. I'm not going to say anything. It's just that feeling, that intuitive kind of understanding that I'm here if you need me without directly saying it.
2: Oh, I love that because I think we all know what it's like to feel unsafe in a relationship. And I mean that emotionally unsafe, not not necessarily physically. Um, but it is, it's like allowing your shoulders to drop, you know, subconsciously mm-hmm. and going, it's OK. It's OK to to say this and feel this and express this around this person. Oh, I love that. Get on to Gary Chapman. Tell him you're going to help him with, a, <laughs> help him with another one. Um, let's get the text line. Lona's message here saying, how do you communicate with a partner who takes every comment or constructive criticism as an attack on his ego, never admits he's made a mistake or was wrong, and gaslights you when you try to have a conversation that includes constructive criticism, then attacks you because his ego can't take it. This isn't necessarily related to love languages, but certainly communication, thriar.
3: Well, one of the things that I would um, I would say is that clearly if this is as the person is saying, so if this is manifesting in the exact same way that the person is mentioning in their message, then I would say that this sounds like an unhealthy um, style of a relationship. It's important for me to have mentioned if that's actually what's happening, because sometimes we perceive things that may not necessarily be happening because that's how it's making us feel. So it's important to sometimes you know get different perspectives or maybe observe it take a step back look at it from a different perspective and and if you still are coming up to the same conclusion then I, again i would go back to my analogy of the puzzle and say to myself okay how many t- how many different ways have you tried and if you've tried the different ways and things are still not working then at this point i would say why, why are we still sticking to that piece
2: mm-hmm. This is something I find really interesting. Um, Some people love drama and I'm not not saying about this listener. Some people love drama and relationship and love, you know, fights and it's so exciting. And I'm a firm believer of why does it need to be that hard? (laughs) Relationships, to my mind, should make life more enjoyable, make you happy, and make you more relaxed and... Yeah, I think the jigsaw one is something I think a lot of people will come back to time and time again. I want to finish quickly with what potentially could be a topic for a whole new show, but I think it's a really good question from Grace saying, what about between the generations? Can kids have a love language? Oh,
3: I, I am are asking you asking you. me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Sorry, I thought, <laughs> okay. I was, I thought it was implied. Just, no, it's absolutely fine. That Yes, actually they do. And Gary Chapman had written another book That was The Five Love Languages of Children. And interestingly enough, if you read the book, it sounds very similar to The Five Love Languages of Adults, just in different ways. So he has them as phrases rather than... Uh, things like uh, gifts or um, words of affirmation—they're actual phrases of like what you would do with a child—and and it's it's very much similar, which is interesting because what we see in attachment, what we see in relationship building, is that whatever we experience in our childhood will eventually affect our experience in relationships in our adulthood as well. So he has a great book that talks about the five languages of of or five love languages of children.
2: I love the sound of that. So it is. It's similar, but obviously, you know, it's communicated, manifested in different ways. Although I think gift-giving probably would be my kid's favorite pick. Um, Thayla, thank <laughs> you so much. Really interesting to explore the topic. And I have to say, a number of messages really, really just goes to show. I think we've got, hopefully got a lot of people having a little ponder this afternoon. Um, you know, I want to know what your love language is.
3: Oh, I, I would I would go back to safety, to it's be honest.
2: It's not on Gary's list.
3: I know. <laughs> I, okay, if I had to pick one on Gary's list, I would definitely say, quality
2: time. Love it. We'll do some alphabet gal dating and make some memories. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. T. Always a pleasure. Dr. Thryer and the team can be found at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. If you've always dreamt about setting up your own business or perhaps circumstances have led to you thinking about going down an entrepreneurial route, this is your chance to get any questions in. To the expert, joining us is the managing partner, legal advisor at Crimson Legal. Bianca Gretzis is with us to answer all of those legal questions about setting up here in the UAE. I'm guessing you're very busy at the minute because it seems like there's been a real explosion of entrepreneurs or is that just my perception?
6: Your perception is absolutely right, Helen. Thank you very much for having me. There is an explosion, especially because Dubai is right up, or UAE rather, is right up there on the global entrepreneurship index. So Everybody wants to come to Dubai. It's the place to be.
2: What kind of trends are you noticing when it comes to industries or areas where we're seeing lots of growth?
6: We're seeing lots of growth in the licensing or company and corporation sector. Sector agnostic, I'd have to say, because innovation is key right now. Mm -hmm. And UAE as it as it is, we've got over 60 jurisdictions or regulators options, if you will, where you can set up businesses.
2: Do you think I feel like it's got a lot easier as well. But again, is that just my perception? Because I'm seeing more people do it? Or do you feel like it has become more cost effective? And perhaps a little bit more straightforward than in the last decade?
6: I would say it is a little better in terms of costs. But yes, the cost of doing business is not cheap anywhere in the world. So you, in comparison, the benefits that you get in the UAE are much higher and better.
2: Tell us about some of the major legal questions or aspects that you should consider before starting a business.
6: Well, the first thing I would say you need to consider is where you want to set the business up mm-hmm. and what particular activity you're going to look at. Activity is key. Because if you're going to set up a business, perform a particular activity, you can't at all go outside the boundaries or perimeter of that specific activity. And then you also need to think about, do I want to scale? Do I want to get an office space? Do I want to hire employees? Mm -hmm. These are all factors that you need to take into account, especially when you're developing a business plan. A lot of entrepreneurs I see don't have business plans.
2: Oh, okay. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, No, actually, I want to talk about the type of activities. Can you give us some examples of some activities that you've perhaps been advising people on um, and perhaps some that have become the most popular?
6: Um, You have a lot of people who are homepreneurs, if you will. Mm -hmm. They want to have smaller micro activities. They want to function from, say, cloud kitchens. So you look at, say, food consultancy activities. So consultancy activities are those activities that you can perform. They're intangible. So you can perform them from anywhere, really. So having free zone options is gets easier. But when you have manufacturing activities, warehousing activities, production activities, those become a little tricky because then you need space. Mm. You need warehouse or office, a commercial space for them. Bianca, apart from not having a business
2: plan, what are some of the other mistakes and pitfalls that you see entrepreneurs embarking upon?
6: Because we've got 60 plus options to choose from, um, I see entrepreneurs, especially first time entrepreneurs, going in and trying to get the cheapest available license. That is definitely the biggest mistake you could make because you're not setting up a business just for fun. You're not setting up a business just for one year or two years. You have to think long term. Mm-hmm. You have to think you're in here for the long haul. How can I scale and grow? Getting the right license is absolutely critical and crucial.
2: So what are some of the questions you should ask yourself in order to find that right one? And what kind of how can you advise in terms of I guess doing a bit of matchmaking with that?
6: Yeah, the first thing I always advise entrepreneurs to do is create a business plan. A business plan is excellent in in terms of helping you gauge where you are now, how much money you have, how much money you want to spend and where do you want to be in mm-hmm. 3 years or 5 years from now. That helps you gauge exactly what you want to put into the business and what do you want to get out of it.
2: It's interesting isn't it because a lot of people are kind of, you know, got their side hustles going on right now and sometimes that's something that does grow organically and end up becoming you know a a mainstay sometimes it's just something people want to keep kind of on the side so when it comes to scalability can you change licenses you know a year or two years down the line
6: it's a very very good question i get a lot of people asking me that question as well there's nothing called transferring a license in legal terminology we call it re-domiciling which literally means you have to close down a license, dissolve that company and then transfer all the assets into the name of the new company, which you also have to license. A lot of entrepreneurs, first time entrepreneurs especially, don't realize that when you set up a company, you can't just let it expire. Mm -hmm. The license can't just expire a year later. You must close it down. And in order to close it down, there is a process involved and there are costs involved.
2: I know. I went through it myself a few years ago. I was like, oh, surely it'll just come to an end. Oh, no few thousand dirhams to make it come to an end. But this is, this is exactly what we need to go into with your eyes wide open. Not necessarily hidden costs, but certainly costs that you need to be cognizant of from the very outset. Joining us live in the studio is managing partner and legal advisor at Crimson Legal, Bianca Gr- uh, G- Gracias is with us today and she's taking your questions and mine, but most importantly yours. And we've got some, some great ones coming in. As I said, you don't need to put your name on if you'd rather not. This is more of a, a a general pondering for you, Bianca. Message saying, for someone wanting to start a business, which situation is better? A person with ideas, but no funds or a person with funds, but no business idea.
6: Oh, neither can I say neither. No. <laughs> um, if you are, I'd say the ideal situation for you, if you don't have h- funds, is to be a hustler. Try and hustle and get somebody to invest in your idea, because there is nothing like having great creativity and having that idea and innovation. Because an idea itself could make you millions, right? At the end of the day, you just mm-hmm. need to hustle and find the right investor. I'd say.
2: Yeah, I like that attitude. And Meshisham Aziz saying, "I'm the CEO of Robo Stores. Listening to the conversation, I feel like a company like Robo Stores can help on." entrepreneurs in the UAE. We're an automated robotic fulfillment center. All someone needs is a product and a website and we take care of everything else. First mile delivery, storage, photography, last mile delivery, whenever an order is made. There you go. Love giving a small business shout outs. Bianca to the text line 4001 if you've got a question. Um, this is from Arnold saying, is there a limit to how many employees you can hire on a business license?
6: Good question, Arnold. It really depends on the visa quota that you have. Typically, free zone licenses get you about three to six, depending on what kind of a license you have. There are different tiers, I believe, in the free zones. And with the mainland structures, however, you can increase your visa quota Of course, you need to increase your office space as well and get more visas. So mainland has definitely more benefits than the free zone, I'd say.
2: Which brings us to Priya's question saying, is it really necessary to have an office space when starting a business? And you mentioned earlier a lot of people starting businesses from home, you know, whether that is making something or consulting. Do you need to have a physical commercial address in order to be legal?
6: So here's something that nobody really tells you when you go to agents in particular and when they're recommending free zone setup and they say, oh, it costs you only 10,000 dirhams to set up in the free zone. Well, that also includes a hidden cost that nobody tells you about. You always get a lease and you always get an office address. Whether you use it or not, it's an entirely different question. But so a do, lease is always included. So does
2: that mean there could potentially be spaces around the UAE that are you know leased out to businesses that are sitting empty or is it literally just, uh, you know? In, in paper only?
6: Absolutely. Every business in the UAE has a desk space or an office space somewhere. They just need to dig out their lease. Oh there you go, people let us know.
2: Um well, I knew we can get this one. Um, no name saying, I'm 21 years old. We want to set up a small online business. What's the cheapest license available today? And you were talking earlier about that being perhaps a bit of a mistake for going for the cheapest one. But where are costs starting, Bianca?
6: It really depends on your activity. So I would have to ask the listener, what is your intended activity? Have you thought about your activity? Do you want to hire employees? Do you need office space or do you mm-hmm. need retail space, perhaps a warehouse facility? Taking all this into account, then you want to think about whether you want to set up in the free zone or you want to set up in the mainland. You'd have to consider all of this before you get a license.
2: And again, I think that visa question is a really interesting one because a lot of people might be on their spouse's visa. Is that possible then to effectively run a business while being on someone
6: else's visa? Absolutely. So the one thing that entrepreneurs get confused about is a visa and a business license. You can get a business license, but that doesn't necessarily authorize or give you the right to stay in the country. Mm -hmm. Visas are issued by an entirely different, different federal department. So you can get a business license, but you may not get a visa.
2: Interesting. Okay. If you've got any questions relating to that, by all means, you're going to have to be fast, though. Um, a question from Shazad saying, what's the difference between a Dubai e-trader license and an LLC? Now, can you break that
6: down for us? Very good question. So e-trader is typically issued by the DED Cafe down in Jumeirah. That's where I went yeah. for mine. Shout out to right. the team. They're very friendly. That is that is the cheapest license available. But what they don't tell you um, is that it has personal liability on it. Mm-hmm. Your liability is not limited. So uh, that means if a civil claim were to be brought against yourself for whatever reason or a consumer protection claim, then you are personally liable, including all your personal Mm -hmm. assets. But with a limited liability company, LLC, which is a typical structure most startups and SMEs go for, your liability is limited to the value of your share capital.
2: And let's see if we can squeeze in this one. In fact, we might be able to squeeze in two. Um, One saying, what do you recommend for freelancers? I don't need a visa
6: freelancers again it depends on your activity what are you freelancing is it is a service or you're thinking of just going and doing products so depending on service and products if, if it's products i recommend mainland services you can think about a free zone option and let's
2: squeeze in one last one this is saying can one get an e-trader license for products made from a professional kitchen and sell the product um, online and offline with a long shelf life so i think food is perhaps one of the one of the trickiest areas to and for for good reason you know you want to make sure you're protected and that your customers are safe
6: yeah food is very tricky you can work off a cloud kitchen you can work off an online license but eTrader makes it very difficult i would say for food get an llc because you want your liability to be limited
2: and i had you know what we've got 30 seconds let's see if we can help bianca what license is needed for an e-commerce company selling products online does it matter if it's free zone or not
6: Um, Freezone would be a good option for you, especially because you know for sure you're going to get 100% ownership and everything's going to be online. So Freezone could definitely be considered for e-commerce. That has been a whistle-stop tour
2: of uh, our business setup, Bianca. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I know you share a lot of resources and your insights as well, but if people do want to pick your brains one-to-one, what's the best way of getting in touch with you at Crimson Legal?
6: Well, through our email address, um, connect at crimson-legal.com. Bianca, gracias. Thank you.
2: It's been, it's been absolutely enlightening. We'd love to have another chat about some of the topics that we've touched on today. Um, and if you do want Bianca's details, just drop me a little message saying biz and I will send you her email address. Bianca, thank you so, so much.
6: Thank you very much.
2: We are a week out to Valentine's Day. This is a public service announcement, by the way. Pop it in your calendar. It's just around the corner, 14th of February. And a lot of pressure, I'd say, yes, on people to, you know, book the dates and buy the presents. But what about those who are single? Well, the ladies who uh, are single have got the very own dates, known as Galentine's, and it falls actually on the 13th of February. And it's a date for women to celebrate their friendships with their female friends. It's Valentine's Day with your gals. So if you're looking to meet some new girlfriends, we're going to tell you how we've got the founders, we've got a Chaser, and we've got Sue joining us in the studio from Women Who Thrive. Thank you, ladies. We've spoken before about the importance of female friendships, but often it's finding them in the first place that can be a little bit challenging, which is which is where you guys step in. Um, tell us a little bit, Sue, about your experiences of Galentine's Day. Do you figure it's an important one?
4: 100% important. So I'm single, 40. So always... Wanting to obviously out there trying to meet someone, my king, but it's not happened yet. But finding my tribe and my friends is just as important. Um, being having that connection, especially in Dubai, we all know we've talked about it. It can be lonely, mm-hmm. so. Spend not being alone and looking at everyone's Instagram whilst they're being proposed to or whisked away somewhere, and being with my girls and celebrating our friendship or getting to know someone new is very important. And Shasta, do you feel like a lot of women and men, for that matter,
0: do feel pressured when it comes to Valentine's Day? Hundred percent. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, especially with all the social media. People want to have the best and and do the best, even in terms of valentines. You know, if they're single, they want to have the best valentines and. We can bring that to you. Yeah, It's interesting. Can I just say to any PRs listening today, please stop sending
2: me Valentine's Day press releases. (laughs) If I get told to like indulge in romance one more time, my husband just messaged me before saying, what do you want to do next week? And I was like, nothing. Maybe hmm. go for a cryotherapy. Is that weird? (laughs) Um, So you are having a speed friending
4: event. This is going to be next week. So tell us more about who it's for, where and when it's going to be. It's for everyone, whether you're single, whether you're taken. If you want to make new connections, you want to make new friends, you're looking for your tribe, you're looking for like-minded women, it's for you. All ages, as I said, I'm 40, a is in her, well, soon to be 30. So all ages, very variation of women, all strides of life. Next week, Valentine's night, because we didn't want anyone to be, even though Valentine's is on the 13th, we've done it on the 14th to make sure everyone's got a date on the 14th. Bounty Beats Marina starting at 730 Yes. 7.30. There you go. We've had a message (laughs)
2: saying, I speeded, um, speed dated for new friends in the same situation during pregnancy. And I go to mums and mums to be meetings, bring along my name and a number on a small piece of paper. If I felt a connection with someone, not just because we were having children, I would slide them my number on the way out. It was the original form of sliding into someone's DMs, (laughs) (laughs) making new friends take work. Luckily, Dubai is full of people open to new people. That's from Jennifer. Do you know what? I think that is actually very true. And we've spoken about this before. When you think about that kind of expat existence, a lot of people have been, you know, new here and Mm. and lonely. And I think it becomes a bit of a fork in the road of going, okay, maybe I'm just not going to make new friends or really putting yourself out there. But I always feel like people are pretty receptive to you know I've met people at brunch and been like oh we're going camping next weekend do you want to come with us or you know being introduced you know you get that classic I've got a friend moving to Dubai yeah. can you meet them for a coffee and you're like okay <laughs> this could be a dud or it could be it, it could, could be a, some, gem. It, could be a <laughs> gem. it could be a total gem it could be I've had about 50 50 hit rate I'd yeah. say on that um but I do feel like people are open to meeting people but sometimes you need to be in the right headspace and I feel like an event where everyone's going there with that same intention which I said is actually
0: really really key but how's it going to work on the <laughs> night so on the night it will it will actually work like you were speed dating. We did exactly the same thing last year and it worked really well. Um, we put sticky notes on the table so everyone writes down one nice thing that they see visually about the other person yeah. and then you have a little conversation and you write down one nice thing about their personality. So at the end of it, everyone leaves with, you might not make a connection. I can't 100% tell you you're going to meet someone that you is your next best friend forever or a business partner. But I can tell you, you will leave with an abundance of love and happiness and loving yourself feeling good about yourself
2: oh sorry nick farmer i'm
0: not going to have cryo
2: i'm (laughs) going to be going along to leave with a nice fistful of post-it notes um so i I think that's really interesting you mentioned there about kind of maybe even building businesses or sharing ideas and Mm. you know you guys have obviously started women through 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 your own connection that you made socially and are building this into you know a a community are you seeing that in your community
4: people meeting and sparking ideas this is what keeps us going this is the reason why we're still here we're coming up to two years and uh, it's not something that we've monetized the thing that's kept us going every single time is at the end of each event that we have um after posting something, the connections, people message us and come up to us and say, oh, my God, I met so and so we're now starting our new business. Or, oh, my God, we've now become really good friends. We're going on our first trip. That's what keeps us going and doing what we're doing. And that's why we want to keep connecting people, because it's so important. So can you give us some tips for on the night? Because... Social anxiety is real, and I think
2: it's. I suffer it, from it. I do too, yeah. which people find really strange. You're like, you're on the radio after doing it. I'm like, yeah, but yeah. ask me to go along to a meetup of, I might know one person. I will try and find an excuse to get out of that mm-hmm. 100%. I'm
4: the person in the corner who pretends I'm texting on the phone and I've got no one to text. That's me when I go to a big event, which is why, and everyone looks at me like, you do this every month for a living, this is what you're doing it's i under, i'm doing it because i understand how it feels mm-hmm. and if you're coming next week honestly come as you are come be you be your true authentic self what we do is we interact with everyone we will make sure that when you come in you feel like you're in your fr- your friend's front room meeting friends that you've known for a long time it's so interactive the whole writing something on a post it and the bringing everyone together we know how important and how ang- anxious it can be mm-hmm. so come as yourself come with wanting to meet people and just saying hello that's all you need to do let yeah. us do the rest so what about some I
2: was going to say pickup lines it's, <laughs> not, it's not what I mean because the, the, I think you know in Dubai it's like do you know what it, there was an, a series on the New York Times Instagram over the weekend and it was about socialising and what to do and what not mm. to do one of the things was don't ask someone about their job which I find yes. really weird Begin because I think this. that's like an, it's a very American thing it's deemed to be really rude to ask people what they do for a living we had the because same conversation yeah. the other day what because am I missing people, here what
0: do you think because people aren't their job doesn't define them such a big part of what your identity though yeah but lots of people do something that they don't like so then their identity is kind of lost but i would say in terms of pickup lines <laughs> <laughs> come and be selfish um and when i say be selfish i mean think about what you like mm-hmm. and think about what you what might be missing in your friendship circles or what's something that you need you're here to try and make a connection so if you are lacking active friends and yeah, want to go with, or, exactly. or a flatmate or a brunch buddy that's the exact topics you will bring up um and if you see someone and someone else has the same topic then there we go you got a connection (laughs) um have had a message a couple of messages asking for more details saying um i need
2: to know uh and also will there be food yes there will be food (laughs) and bubbles yes you get a glass
4: i think it's a glass of bubbles um on entry and then there'll yeah.
2: be like shared platters food so yeah absolutely okay and real friends do tell them if there's something in their teeth just so, so <laughs> yeah. there's are there's that five second rule isn't it it's like you don't comment on someone's appearance unless there's something you can fix in five seconds like if you've got your yep. dress tucked into your knickers or you've got spinach in your teeth you can <laughs> take someone aside and tell them quickly but exactly. if it's but if it's about i don't know your haircut, yeah don't, <laughs> don't leave it don't don't bring it up okay so Best way of getting in touch, Sue. Tell tell us everything we need to know in terms of registration details and all that stuff.
4: Head over to Instagram, Women Who Thrive, um, and go to the link in our bio, click it, and you will be able to register there. Do you know what? I would be like, what do I wear? Anything. That that first impression.
2: Yeah. I know, but if if I'm going to be my true authentic self, I'd be like jogging bottoms yes. that's
0: me that's <laughs> us that's us <laughs> track bottoms every day whenever trainers. I can. <gasps> Anytime
4: we can we've been to a gala event and changed from our heels to our tra- uh, from heels to trainers oh, literally wearing crocs on stage yeah. I
0: love you girls
2: <laughs> um, so if anyone wants the details you can just send me the word gal and I will send you the instagram for women who thrive if you have got your phone to hand it's women dot who thrive um, and the link is there um, galentines is taking place on valentines because we should all have somewhere to go and someone to be with and some friendly faces and some Compliments on that day. Just send me the word gal and I will send you the link. I'm sure you guys have got a lot of planning to do. So thank you so, so much. Um, but if you do want those details, let me know. So, Machasa, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Happy Valentines. See you next week in my Tracksuit Bottoms. We've been talking about burnout an awful lot recently. And I think many, many people listening today are constantly tired, stuck in that rat race of work and life and just keep going until you get ill or worse, you have a breakdown and that's usually the point where you wake up and say, Okay, something needs to change. And that's exactly what happened to my next guest. We've got Cassie McAreed in this who is a holistic life coach who has been through that moment. Cassie, what what comes to mind when I when you hear that word burnout?
5: Oh, it just actually makes my stomach drop mm-hmm. because there's so many people that are struggling. Um, with even knowing that they 're on the path to burnout, and I think you know just identifying that they are overworked overstrung mm-hmm. is really the first step to being able to notice they can make a change
2: i think for for many people it 's like well, I have to keep working like this because i 've got a family to support with financial pressures, you know you know in this part of the world, your visa's tied to your work and I think a lot of people are like well I'd love to I'd love to quit and you know run off to Bali or and my fantasy is going to you know live in a in a log cabin in Norway maybe not in winter you know and just kind of leave it all behind but it doesn't necessarily doesn't have to be this all or nothing approach we're going to be talking about some of the changes that you made so let's let's go back in time a little bit because you were in corporate IT you know good salary job
5: yeah what happened was. Um I wasn't happy, and I didn't even realize that I wasn't happy, I don't think, because I was constantly on the go. I had no idea how to stop or what stopping even looked like. Mm-hmm. It just felt that I was on this roller coaster, pressure from work, pressure from home, pressure actually from my own self as well. um you know, I had to have all of these things done, I had to reach these expectations, and you know you grow up with other people's expectations of what your life is going to look like. And I hadn't worked out what my life was going to look like on my terms.
2: Mm-hmm. Was there a turning point then, the one that think you keep on coming back to in your mind and be like, that was it?
5: There was a few for me, actually, and I think it was a gradual journey. Um, but the biggest standout for me, certainly when I look back, is my relationships were suffering.
2: Is that with, you're, you're a twin mum, we should say. I always I think am. it's really important to mention when people are parents because, you know, people, people you know, it takes up a lot of our time, attention, love, um, yeah. and it can be a big contributor to burnout. I think that's one of the big misconceptions. It's not just people who are in big corporate jobs. You know, stay-at-home mums, my goodness, some of the hardest-working people on the planet. So you, yeah, mum, big, big job. What, what, what were you seeing in your relationships? You thought, this is not the path I want to go down, Cassie.
5: I think I struggled to let people in to help, and rather than deal with the things that were going on for me, I pushed people away. Mm. Um, so then, when I really needed people, I couldn't call on them because I'd pushed them away. Um, so I was, in fact, you know, self-destructing within my own relationships. Um, and like you mentioned before about being a parent, you know, I was a parent, or I'm a parent, um, big job. Husband worked away a lot. Um, so there was always this expectation that you had to do everything, you know, and you had to be well turned out and you had to do all of the things for the children plus all of the things for yourself and still be a wife and a mum. And-,
2: and then do the self-care and you're like, what does that mean? I haven't got time to meditate. Absolutely. <laughs> because I think that is the thing that people are like, OK, well, if you just take some time for you and you go, well, I'd, I'd love to do that or yeah. we find reasons not to do it. You yeah. made a big change. Tell us, tell us about that.
5: <laughs> so the big change for me started with stepping on a yoga mat and... For the I'd, first time or... No, I'd done got, it before. Got into it. Yeah, and hated it. I'm not going to lie, just thought it was the biggest waste of my time <laughs> ever. Um, but that's because I buried myself in high intensity type exercise because it was another way actually of not focusing on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one particular time, I stepped on the mat and I walked away feeling different, and I just thought I need to do more of that because that 's the thing that 's going to help me, and that started me on my journey, really. Um, I then later started to train to teach yoga, never with the intention actually of teaching, but just with the intention of learning more about it for myself. A deeper understanding yeah um, what kind of yoga? Um, I learnt vinyash, vinyasa with Ashtanga, but it's not something I particularly share anymore.
2: We're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> about some of the the movement um, and how yeah, motion can be lotion, and it can be a, a great balm for the soul as well. We're talking burnout, trauma, maybe offering some solutions as well now with holistic life coach Cassie Mather-Reed. She turned her life around, um, and it's on sort of a bit of a mission to help other people do that. And that sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? It but, does, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It doesn't necessarily have to be dramatic. Tell us about some of the issues. The concerns the challenges that a lot of people are coming to you with Cassie?
5: Yeah I think a lot of women particularly which is more the focus that I work with they seem to be more attracted to what I do is they've lost their confidence so they don't actually see any option for change because they just feel completely stuck and often especially if they've become a parent they don't actually know who they are anymore so when they're lost they kind of look back to this life pre-children don't identify with that anymore, try and look forward and have no idea what that could mean for them. So there's this real loss, this real feeling stuck and like I say a complete lack of confidence.
2: What are some of the questions that you use or tools that you use to help people I guess lose that sense of paralysis?
5: There's lots of different things really and for me it's uncovering what life looks like now for them but also what could life look like for them we put we
2: put so many kind of limiting beliefs in our way or I don't want to say excuses because sometimes they are reasons why things can't happen. But yeah. are you there to kind of shine a bit of a light?
5: I hope so, yeah. You know, like you say, you know, we, we say excuses, but actually they're coping mechanisms in a lot of ways because we don't know any other way how to behave. It's so ingrained in us. It's our knee-jerk reaction. We don't even often understand why we respond in that way. Mm. So I try and give people the tools to understand where the root of that comes from, so that they can change the way in which they respond, which actually then changes the outcome of their life.
2: Can we talk about balance then? Do you think it's possible (laughs) in today's busy world, Cassie, to have a sense of, I'm not necessarily talking about that work-life balance, because I feel like that's that's an impossible dream for many people, (laughs) but I guess a sense of balance.
5: Yeah, I think so. I think it is possible. But I think we need to change the way we believe it should look. Mm. We have this vision often that it's like a pendulum. It's either all one way or all the other way. Whereas actually balance kind of, it's a sway and a movement. And we find pockets of it, but it doesn't have to be, this is the day that I do this, this is the day that I do that. We can kind of sway within the day and find balance. Certainly mentally and emotionally, we can find some balance if we uncover some of those things that stop us responding in the most effective ways
2: I feel like um expats do have some kind of particular challenges as well um what are you hearing from clients in that sense
5: I think with an expat community um and I've lived in a couple of expat communities and they're both very different actually but here in Dubai um there is a pressure on the way that things look and I don't just mean aesthetically on the external but the way in which you present your life is really important to a lot of people. You can't actually say what's really going on beneath the surface and so people struggle with that. There's also a huge uh, emphasis here on networking and meeting people and if you are struggling really with anxiety or overwhelm that is the last thing that you want to do for yourself. Mm. So It isn't an excuse to not want to do that, but you literally cannot cope. It's another thing that you can't put on top of your already overburdened life. I think
2: Dubai, you know, it's a cosmopolitan city. A lot of people are working really hard and building their careers and saving money, hopefully, as well. But I feel like we are really... Know fetishizing being busy as well. That yeah. seems to be the answer I'm getting a lot at the minute, and I say I'm guilty of it as well. How are you so busy? Yeah. Which can you know is often very much the case, but sometimes it can be seen as this. I'm, I'm. It's basically saying I'm so in demand.
5: Yeah, we glorify <laughs> totally. being busy, don't we? Totally. It's like it's like this this accolade that we would give ourselves because we're so busy. But what's the point in being busy if you're not enjoying it, mm. or if you're getting nothing from it from a personal perspective? if it's not actually where you want to be in the future.
2: Cassie, you've got a particular interest in trauma, um, and I wanted to ask why that is, if you don't mind.
5: Um, I think we all have experienced trauma. For myself, there was a lot in my childhood. And, you know, I grew up in the stereotypical 2.4 family. So, you know, it doesn't look on the surface like there was anything, you know. And I've got great parents. This is nothing against them. But I struggled a lot with my health when I was younger. I was in and out of hospital a lot when I was a child and subsequently left on my own a lot because your parents weren't allowed to be there, at, you know, when I was younger. Um, and I think that, ke- that caused huge issues for me in the future on being able to trust people to help me. So the minute I felt a lack of confidence or the minute I feel that I didn't do something well, I withdrew mm-hmm. um, because I didn't know how to feel safe. So that was where trauma came from, from me.
2: And trauma can mean different things to different people. And you know, I think one of the big misconceptions is that you know something happening to someone, oh, that's not as bad as what happened to me, or at least that at least this has happened to me. And you know, look what he or she has been through. This we seem to have this hierarchy of trauma, yeah, which isn't that helpful because you know everyone is totally entitled to feeling how they feel about something. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, why might two people experience? and be impacted by the same trauma in different ways?
5: Everybody's genetics are different. So everything that you carry with you, you know, and we do carry responses from our parents, you know, you will notice that, especially if you're a mum, you will notice that your children may respond in similar ways to you or your partner, your husband. We do carry those things. So previous experiences have a huge weight on how we then experience new things. Mm -hmm. Trauma is actually the response to a situation, So trauma is trauma. It could be from moving house when you were very young up to something, you know, really quite serious, like a serious um, thing you might have witnessed or experienced yourself. Um, It's the response to those.
2: And what about the importance of dealing with that trauma at the time or a gap in in dealing with it? Can Can that
5: play a role? Absolutely. I think certainly when trauma happens at a very young age, we aren't emotionally intelligent enough to deal with it. Mm. And I always liken it to building blocks. So what that does is it puts the first foundation block on the bottom. Then if something happens later on in life, we experience similar feelings to how that felt, we then pop another building block on top. And so these building blocks just continue to go on top, you know. So those house of bricks are going to fall eventually It will just take one thing to go on the top that will let everything else crumble down.
2: How do you think um, movement can help in particular?
5: So trauma is stored a lot within the body and movement can really help. Certainly release that, you know, we store it in our muscles, we store it in our nervous system. So if we can move our body, we can start to balance the nervous system a little bit and we can start to free some of those Responses that are held within our body. Um, but it's really important if you notice that you suffer from trauma that movement is slow. Because when you think about the high intensity time yeah, that, work that doing we do, mm-hmm. um, all that's doing is just pushing your nervous system to the brink. You know, you need to kind of calm the nervous system down. Can you give us some
2: examples? I've actually seen a number of um, videos on. Instagram reels about you know try this if you're feeling that have you thought you know and I, I wondered if um, yeah if you can share some examples for us Cassie would yeah that be okay?
5: absolutely shaking is a great example um, and that's something that I certainly share with clients and it can be just as simple as shaking your hands out flapping your arms around and it sounds really silly but actually what that does is it brings you back into your body a little bit where you might be disconnected and it starts to tap into your nervous system breath work is incredible um, if you can use the breath to really come down deep into the belly that's brilliant you might notice yourself that you carry a lot of your breath up in your chest and if you do that's not really effective you want to try and get it down into the belly then you're going to stimulate the vagus nerve 10th cranial nerve that's going to stimulate the the nervous system and bring you into more of a rest and digest
2: um, a recommendation here from um, Andrea saying, great book is The Body Keeps the Score.
5: It's amazing. I haven't read it. What, do we, what do we need to know? This says,
2: a, 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 i I'm just Googled it now. Yeah, Pi- Pioneering research and one of the world's foremost experts on traumatic stress offers a bold new paradigm for healing trauma.
5: Yeah, Bessel van der Volk, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's an absolutely incredible book and it really helps you understand how trauma impacts the physical um, so that was one of the first books I read when I started to get more involved with trauma. Um, I actually read it when I worked in an addiction centre in the UK where I was dealing with people with drugs and alcohol um, because a lot of their issues stem from trauma. Mm-hmm. So it was really interesting to see how a body responds when they've been really impacted by something quite difficult.
2: I think for a lot of people is. As you say, the importance of acknowledging that and yes, acknowledging it, but also taking a step to heal that. Sometimes that can come from someone else. And I wonder if you had any advice for someone who might be a friend or a family member who does need a bit of help and how to broach that topic.
5: Yeah, it's very, very difficult delicate. actually. And often people around you will notice things before you do yourself. So they'll notice that they'll address you in a particular way because they know if they don't, they'll get a. Reaction. response back mm-hmm. or reaction back that might not be the best so they will notice things they might not know what's underneath it but they will notice how you respond so to address that can be quite difficult because that person has to be really ready to He's give them a copy of the
2: book the body keeps the score <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
5: I think it's trying to do things together you know and almost sort of say oh I feel like I really need this would you like to come along or This is something I've tried, would you like to try it? And almost use yourself an example so they don't feel called out. Um,
2: Cassie, For anyone wants to connect with you and find out more about the work you do, what's the best way of getting in touch?
5: Um, Instagram is my platform of choice. That's Cassie underscore mother underscore read. Thank you so
2: much. If you do want Cassie's details, drop me a little message. You can just say Cassie, and I will send you that Instagram, so you can find out more. Thank you so much for your time today. Really interesting to hear your story. Thank, um, you. thank you for your for your honesty. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you do want those details, um, get in touch. Just drop me the word Cassie on four zero zero one. Studies show four year olds ask as many as two to three hundred questions a day. Let me tell you, as a parent of slightly older children, that seems conservative to me. Why is water wet? Why is the sky blue? Why is sugar sweet? Sometimes you just don't have the right answer. But joining us now is the co-author and publisher of a new book called 35 Silly Stories. Why Bettina Tara joining us live in the studio? Thank you so much for being with us. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Helen.
2: You're welcome. You're a mum of two. Um, I wanted to share a couple of recent questions from my daughters. OK. OK. I don't think they're going to be in the book because they're absolutely bonkers. Can you milk a monkey? Why is money just paper? How many people have touched a lion's mane? Who was the 20th person in the world? This is what I deal with on a daily basis, (laughs) Petita. I need your help. Tell us a little bit about why you decided to write this book.
1: Well, it's quite interesting, actually. Stories are at the core of what we do. Uh, We have a branding and marketing agency and we help our clients tell stories. Our children are under 12, like you just mentioned, and they constantly, we you know a whole bunch of why stories and every time they came to us with why is water wet or why is you know why do we have two shoulders we always told them um, uh, a story instead of facts just to keep them engaged and give them a little chuckle oh, you're a much better parent than well,
2: me i'm like let's let's, let's siri what are you saying siri
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes that's what we do now ask siri or ask alexa <laughs> But having said that, uh, you know, for work, we needed to explore in the past six months, uh, the whole AI thing has kind of exploded. And there's, you know, DALI and Midjourney, all these text to images kind of platforms that have come out. Uh, so we decided, you know, what can we do? We wanted to explore those platforms for work, but do it outside of the con- confines of a client's brief, but yet... With a tangible product, we said, why not a children's book? Because we had all these stories that we've been telling our kids anyway. And we thought a good way to sort of experiment with the platform would be to write a children's book. And that's what we did. So... Lots of silly stories about the why, how, yeah. it's, and it's an ebook.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so tell us then about using AI as a as a method as a, as a process. So were there any surprises
1: along the way, and how do you feel it's turned out? I think the so the common thread that has come across has been the illustrations are just beautiful. Stunning. And Yeah, and I absolutely have to agree. I mean, the thing is, if we had to create this from scratch, it would have been it would have been years uh, in the making. And uh, the the truth is, AI is here, we have to learn how to sort of embrace it and, you know, create content. And the wonderful thing is, it's a creator's economy. There's nothing to stop you from the threshold to really create a product and bring it out and put it somewhere out to sale is so low now. That uh, one has to just you know be willing to explore. So you you are well and truly leaning in, and the results are as, as, as you
2: say, the illustrations are stunning. Yeah. What about the questions? What are some of your favourite questions in the ebook?
1: Oh, mine is I think uh, why do we snore? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love that one. Uh, I want to know why. What what's the, what's the book saying? The books the book tells you uh, a lovely little tale about uh, little snoriums who are in our noses to keep our Nasal passages clean, but they wanted to talk to each other, so they communicate in a language that we know as snoring.
2: (laughs) But what? And did you learn anything along the way? And what? What have your children been picking up from some of the answers?
1: The children absolutely love. I mean, again, they've they've gone down to looking at the stories and looking at the illustrations, and then they have conversations and creating their own stories of why these things happen. So I think just the overall experience has been wonderful. Obviously, it's very child-centric, but what about the adults that you had in mind when you were writing it? Do you think it's going to be a bit of a tool in schools, for example? 100%. 100%. I mean, it can be a tool that uh, it, it's about create. it's about inspiring children's imagination. And in terms of creative writing, in terms of, you know, uh, visual appreciation, there's just so much the children can learn with, every, with all the tools that are available at the moment.
2: Uh, Ruby saying, would love some more advice on AI publishing. Would she mind sharing a bit more? Would that be okay? So I don't know, I don't know if Ruby's an, an author or an illustrator or someone who's thinking about it. But what are some of the barriers to just getting started? Are there any web Sites people could be having a look at. What do you recommend?
1: I mean... Uh... In terms of creating the visuals, we use AI, we use Midjourney, so it does require a bit of skill. It's not it's not as straightforward as, say, ChatGPT is and the way it's caught on, So, but it's not hard to learn. Once you're in it, it's all open platforms, so one can just get on. You need to get on to Discord. I know it's getting a bit technical, <laughs> so my apologies, but the thing is just explore and you'll find a way to do it. I mean, uh, you know, we publish on a platform called Gumroad, which really just makes it so easy. All you need to do is you need to create a book. If that's what you want to do, you want to create a podcast podcast. podcast, you want to create uh, visuals, whatever you want to do, you can just upload it there and they take care of the entire publishing. And all you need to do is then just market it and find the audience. Yeah. So it becomes a much more democratic and presumably quicker and cheaper process. 100%. 100%. And the best thing about it is that you can learn, you can get the feedback pretty quickly, you can Mm. pivot, you can improvise. So you're not spending a long time and a lot of investment into creating a product that may not work. We've had a question on the phone
2: line. I saw the phone buzzing before. This is five-year-old Shine.
6: Why do unicorns have horns?
1: Why do unicorns have horns? This what? is
2: going to be one for book number two, unless you've already dressed it in your thirty-five silly stories.
1: We haven't, but it is. But it is a question that we're going to answer in book number two for sure. <laughs> is that the plan? Are you hoping to use this platform, use this method for future projects? Absolutely. I mean, the whole idea is to kind of explore and learn and keep going. So definitely, we have our, our next book in the pipeline. It's for slightly older kids, but it's going to it's going to come out at the end of the month. Patina, you know, what's the best way of people getting hold of your ebook? What's the website?
2: What we need to know
1: yeah so the website is silly stories why.com and you can download a book from there and for the listeners you uh, you can download it for free just use the code helen1038 ah. that's helen all lowercase 1038 i'm gonna do it right now um i'm gonna grab that website from you and i'll grab the code as well and if anyone
2: wants details thank you that is really generous free ebooks and 35 silly stories for your kids what age group do you think this is this one's for patina uh,
1: six plus uh,
2: perfect yeah. okay send me book if you want a, a copy of your free ebook I'll send you that with the code and you can download that today sorting out story time tonight patina congratulations really interesting to hear not just the content but also the process and I'm going to be kind of watching out for some exciting new authors who could be using this in the future absolutely thank you thank so you. so much you mm-hmm.